Hello and welcome to the That's My Truth podcast. This podcast features interviews and discussions about everything from career and wellness to friendship and social issues and beyond. I'm your host, Juliana, and I'm so excited that you're tuning in today. Hello and welcome to the That's My Truth podcast. I'm your host, Juliana. Thank you for tuning in today. I hope you're having a great week. Um, I'm recording this on Wednesday, January 20th, also the same day as the inauguration. So I hope that things are going well, feeling a little bit lighter and feeling a little hopeful. So today's interview is quite lovely. I interviewed Maggie from the Instagram account, Coffee and Cardio. She is someone that I have followed for years and really just admired from a distance. So I was so delighted to have the opportunity to sit down and chat with her over Zoom slash or Skype. Um, over Skype, I think this interview is great for anyone. But when I was listening and editing the podcast, I was thinking like, "Wow, this is such a great interview for someone feeling kind of lost or just really in their early twenties, a little bit shaky, not so confident in their path." Um, I absolutely loved sitting down with Maggie. She's incredible. So make sure to follow her. Everything she mentions will be included in the show notes, but I will turn it over to the interview. Well, welcome, Maggie. Thank you so much for joining today. I'm really excited to have you on the podcast. To start us off today, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Maggie. Uh, I'm a writer, content creator, and photographer. I live outside of Seattle with my husband and my dog. Um, and I'm just really excited to be here today. Awesome. Thank you. So the first set of questions are related to career and kind of changing plans. And I know that's something you've been open about. So since I followed you, you've changed jobs and locations a few times. What have your previous jobs been and what do you do now? So when I graduated from college, I had studied psychology and special education, and my go-hard, all-out dream was to get a PhD in clinical psych. I moved to Los Angeles for a job in research studying adolescent bipolar disorder, and I absolutely loved it. And then over time, obviously, that kind of changed a little bit. Um, My experience applying to graduate school was very challenging for me Um, after sort of some some grad school disappointment, which I think we'll talk about in a minute. I I took a position at a nonprofit that was doing suicide prevention and crisis support. Um, I sort of combined my Instagram skills where I was doing community outreach and organization, um, telling stories to activate people and to inspire people. And I, I took those skills and my mental health research skills and I took them to the nonprofit. Um, I loved that job. It was so interesting and so fulfilling to work on, on something that was so personal to me. Um, and then the experience doing the communications for that nonprofit, when my husband and I moved to Seattle, I actually ended up pursuing kind of a more global um, social impact communications and strategy role where I now work in a position where I support a number of different clients on achieving their goals in communications, in strategy, in program design to help them communicate and connect with people in a way that is new and different. That seems, you know, to go from mental health research and wanting to do a PhD to social impact communications, which like could just be summarized as marketing. Like I do marketing for a very specific type of work. Um, But to me, I see it really as a kind of three-step pivot. I took my interests and passions for mental health and helping people and my like side hobby of Instagram. And then I found a job where I could do that for one nonprofit. And at that job at the nonprofit, I really saw how limiting it was to work for such a small organization and not have the tools or resources of like a creative team and a strategic team and a 
an intern to help me like compile all the the things that we should be talking about. Um, and it it really spoke to me that there's so much good to be done. Um, and being the person on the ground at the nonprofit doing it was not something that was going to be sustainable for me long term. Um, and I really think that combining, you know, m- my role right now, I really combine my background in research and my marketing um, for what I do. I work for a bunch of scientists right now. Um, and really, it is the most interesting combination of both of my interests and skill sets that has been allowing me to help more people on a larger scale. It sounds like it's been quite a journey, but you found a job that encompasses you and your skills and also interests. Yeah. And and I think I part of what I like about the job is that it changes. We get new clients, we get new projects, um, and it allows me to learn about different social impact sectors in a way that really focusing so hard on mental health for so many years did not. So you mentioned your graduate school disappointment. Can you talk a little bit more about that experience? So for, for background, my original career plan, um, I had studied clinical psych and special education. My original career plan was to get a PhD, um, be a therapist for kids with early onset mental illness and, and combine therapy and research. I'm continuing to study diagnosis, emotion regulation, sort of family-based treatment. Um, that was really what I was excited about. Um, and so I did all of the things that you do to go to grad school. I worked as a research assistant. I published papers. I applied for graduate school. Um, and the process being what it is, I ultimately did not end up at the program that I had planned to. Um, and it really was was devastating for me. Um, I think it's a it's a very challenging process that um, really depends a lot on the year and on the program rather than you as a person. And the experience of knowing that I was qualified to be a scientist, that I had all of these recommendations and publications and encouragement from mentors that this was something that they really could see me being successful doing and combining that with really feeling like it was what I was meant to do. Um, Having that be blocked by this sort of archaic, outdated process that I felt like I had no control over was really, really devastating. It was crushing. It was so hard. Um, And I just cried a lot at the beginning. Like I just cried and basically was like, if I can't do this and if I'm not going to, if I'm not going to achieve this dream, like what will I ever do? Like what skills and talents do I have um, besides research and academia and taking care of other people emotionally and learning how to take that disappointment and look and reflect on my skills and my capabilities as a person and as a professional and understand that you know, being a thoughtful scientist and being someone who engages well with clinical patients, um, those are not unique skills that are only applicable to academia. Those are things that really translate well across any career path. In And I think the work that I ended up doing for myself, um, in addition to, you know, <laughs> recovering from disappointment, Um, was looking at what it was that I am good at um, and taking it out of the context of academia and that dream and that career path and looking at it a little bit more objectively. Um, So being someone who is really, really good at diagnostic interviewing, for example. Um, So the, the process of sitting in a room with someone for two and a half hours and going through the story of their life and the story of their emotional and mental experiences and teasing out what that means for them diagnostically. Um, What a cool skill that is so applicable to problem solving and strategic question asking and uncovering the cause and the effect and the chicken and the egg and the, the root origin of something Um, And doing that in a thoughtful, compassionate way is not 
something that is super limited to mental health. Like those are our skills and talents that are really applicable to any field, um, just depending on how you think about them. And so taking that disappointment and taking that feeling of not being able or qualified to do anything else and zooming out and looking at what my skills and talents mean and how I can apply them to other things was really groundbreaking for me in in how I think about myself as a person and how I think about my purpose and opportunities to live that. I also think that it was like managing that disappointment and kind of going through that experience has been the single most fundamental experience of my young adulthood so far. And I think it really was a good thing for me in the long run. Um, And I'm still a little sad not to, not to be a therapist. Uh, I think that maybe someday I'll go back and and do it. But um, right now I think it really has been good for me personally and professionally. And I can say that with the perspective of 1000 feet away of not being quite so close up to it as I was. You talked about how you were pursuing a P or planned to pursue a PhD in clinical psychology. Um, I guess after that disappointment, did you consider other paths that could get you there? Like that were similar? Okay. Yep. I did. So I thought about doing, um, there were a couple of programs where I had been accepted for the master's program. Um, there were a couple of kind of LMFT master's programs that I thought about. And at the end of the day, it really came down to cost. Um, the cost for the master's program was very high. (laughs) Um, and it was very high in a way that when I did the math for what I would make as a therapist with a master's license, um, it was going to be a long time until I was able to repay those loans. And it, the, the master's program would also require relocating, um, which when I had planned to do a PhD made a lot of sense to my husband and I, um, a one year, one and a half year master's program, it made a lot less sense for where we were at that time. Um, so it definitely was a consideration. I really, really thought about it. Um, as sort of the, the secondary path. Um, I have quite a few friends who did their master's and then just continued on and, and did their PhD and we're very, very happy that way. Um, but it did not ultimately, ultimately end up being something that we, I did. It's interesting how there are so many other factors at play, like cost, length of program, if it's worth it. So I think it's interesting hearing how you considered other options. One thing that I, like when I've read about your disappointment, I just imagine that one of the most challenging parts is telling other people about that. Was that the most challenging part? I guess I'm just wondering, (laughs) and maybe that's just me, but um, I'm curious like how that happened. Yeah. I would say that that was a significantly challenging part, both interpersonally for the people I know in my actual life and on my Instagram on coffee and cardio. Um, (laughs) You know, not proud to say that I handled it by just not talking about it for a while, Um, which for my friends and family and loved ones who knew that I was doing this process was probably not the kindest choice I could have made. Um, And then same thing on, on my platform, I, communicated that I was changing jobs and that I was moving and that I was, you know, I, I communicate the changes as they happen. Uh, I don't think that I explicitly explained that I had applied to graduate school and ultimately did not get a position um, until last year. I think that's the first time I like explicitly talked about it. Um, just because it did not feel like something I was ready to have a conversation about, which 
you know, avoidance is probably not the most productive, but I also think that uh, I'm a firm believer on my platform of not talking about things that you have not processed. I think perspective is really important. Um, and talking about it just to talk about it doesn't feel productive to me. Um, you know, broadcasting to 20,000 people that like, hey, this life dream that I had didn't work out. And I don't know how I feel about that yet. Um, doesn't feel like it serves anyone necessarily in, in the way that I want. And not that every challenging life experience needs to serve other people. But I think when when you have an Instagram account that tends to be about inspiration and kind of a thoughtful take on the hard things in life, in addition to, you know, frivolous things like what I had for breakfast today and coffee. Um, <laughs> it's something that I just really wanted to be sure that I knew how I felt about it completely before I started trying to, to give a pretty bow in polished life lessons. How has your outlook on life and career changed since this disappointment happened? I would say it has changed in that before I really was so singularly focused on like, this is the dream. This is my career. This is who I am. Um, and, you know, part of that was my undergrad. That was like a very common vibe at, <laughs> at my, at my college. But I really think it has helped me understand that there can be so many dream jobs for you. And there are probably so many roles that you would be incredible at, like whatever it is, whatever your dream is and whatever your skill sets are, you could change that tomorrow and be successful and be happy. And I think for me, I have always felt very strongly that whatever I did professionally, I wanted it to help people. And I felt for a long time that mental health was, mental health or special education or, you know, some type of active service role was really the only way for me to do that. And it has been really eye-opening for me to see all of the different ways that a different career can have an incredibly positive impact um, without having to be hands-on emotionally the way that I feel like I was kind of set up to believe that I needed to. Um, it's been really refreshing to me to to know that I'm helping people and know that the projects that I work on change the world. And and I mean that in, you know, fully humble, in a fully humble way. Um, and that at, it's not me sitting one-on-one -on -one in a room with one person giving up myself emotionally. It's like, me putting all of my strategic brain power into something that will touch so many more lives than just the one. Very cool. I know before you said you talk about it from, you know, a thousand foot separation and, um, but I just admire your perspective and yeah. <laughs> my therapist will be so proud to hear that. Um. <laughs> Um, okay, so kind of shifting to coffee on co coffee. Oh, wow, <laughs> coffee and cardio. Um, I've loved following and watching coffee and cardio evolve and grow over the years. So I'm curious what your favorite part of running it is. Um, I really just would have to say the the people. Um, I really feel like. <laughs> And it's like a small but mighty community in the in the grand scheme of influencer. I'm I'm doing aggressive air quotes for those who who can't see. Um, you know, I'm not running a a platform of like a hundred thousand, a million people, but the people who I have been able to connect with over the last handful of years are just the best people. Um, it, I always make jokes that I somehow managed to find all of the like Enneagram type two INFJ Sagittarius Libras, um, on the entire internet, which basically is a, fa a funny way of saying that it's just all the nice introspective kind of emotional people who like really care about each other and themselves. And I found them all 
and they're so nice. And I have so many people who have reached out because they've been following me and we've become real friends in real life. Um, and it just feels so special to, to, you know, put out what is the equivalent of a diary entry online about something incredibly personal and have so many people resonate with that experience. I think that's not coolest. Definitely a community. So I love that. So I think there are a couple of things and this is something I actually really think about a lot. Um, so the first is that as someone who creates content for myself and also on occasional on a, on occasion sponsored content and works with, working with brands and recommending products. So what do you do to make coffee and cardio a more inclusive space? Something that I really try to do in all of those things is making them price inclusive. So if I'm going to share a link for a $200 sweater, I'm also going to find one that is 18 to $30 um, to make sure that I'm not making anyone feel as though the most expensive version of anything is going to give them their best life. Um, I always disclose that nothing that I recommend is going to change in anyone's life. It's not going to make you happy if you're not already happy. It is a nice thing that I enjoy. And if you also might enjoy it, here you go. So really trying to contextualize the things that I'm recommending as not being critical to life in any way um, and trying to do my best to find different price points to make sure that cost is not a barrier to enjoying my page or coming onto my page is not going to make you feel bad about your financial situation. Um, I would also say that I have and am trying to do better um, always to be very vocal about social things that are happening. Um, I don't consider my page like a news page. I'm not going to be here to like give the full distillation of what's happening, but I will always, always, always stand up and do my best to communicate that what I believe in is that all people are so important and valid and welcome and things like white supremacy and racism and, you know, political violence on our capital are so unwelcome on my page. And I think something that I try to do is not to push people away if that's what they believe, but to have a conversation. I think that as a white creator, I can do some emotional labor to educate people um, in a way that I hope my creator friends who may be from a, a different background than me should not have to be doing. Um, in a similar way, I have, if you scroll to the way, way back of my account, um, right when I started the account, I talked a lot about weight loss. Um, I ha had been in a position where I ran a marathon and got very injured um, and started the Instagram account actually as a kind of an accountability thing for the Kayla at Venus BBG program. It was like very cool in 2015. Everyone was, everyone was doing it. And so in the way back, I would like talk about discipline and motivation and like going to the gym and like by extension, weight loss. Um, that is not a thing that you will ever see on my Instagram account anymore. Um, I think I have had some really hard and challenging conversations with other creators and with friends. I had a friend tell me that she really loved me and loved what I was doing, but found like before and after photos triggering. And that was absolutely horrifying to me. Um, I like really took a, a deep look at the way that I talk about food and the way that I talk about exercise on my account and really changed it to be a celebration. And I think that was in part due to those conversations and it was in part due to kind of my own experience changing, changing my perspective of, you know, as someone who like did the BBG program and like did the whole 30 and was like, yes, like let's focus on how my body looks. Um, I really find that to be the least interesting thing about life at this point. Like 
there's so much to enjoy and there's so many ways to take care of yourself. And that is not one of them. I really try to think about it in a a couple of different ways. Um, And then always doing my best to amplify creators of color and amplify creators from backgrounds who have a voice in something that I shouldn't. Um, So amplifying them, amplifying their work and encouraging my community to be more vocal about the things that they believe in. That's, that was a great answer. I just listened to the Cherry Bomb podcast and they had an episode about inclusivity for there is this woman and her sister has cerebral palsy. And so she's she's now started this consulting business to help people become more inclusive. So I'm wondering if you do you use a caption app to like show when you talk if no, you do talk? No, I do it myself. I close captions oh. myself. Okay. Okay. Yep. Um, so that's that's another I thing. Care. I care yeah. very much about um, thinking about. I'm also on TikTok. Um, it is. I have no. It, it's so odd. It's like such a different world from Instagram, but I really love it. Um, and I really love that on TikTok, it has become very mainstream to encourage closed captioning. So right now, I closed caption all of my videos on TikTok. And I do my best for Instagram stories when I have videos to add add the text of what it is that I'm saying. Um, I am less good about adding the alternate text on my Instagram posts, but I always go back in and add it, um, which is uh, accessibility for screen readers. So it will describe the photo. Um, I'm still learning the best practices of what to describe, you know, because I could write like a 47 page paragraph. That's also something that you do as well, right? To make it yeah. more inclusive for people yeah. of, who might have disabilities. I Anyways. Uh, yeah, there, there's always something, but um, making sure that I'm labeling things, doing closed captioning, or at least summarizing what it is that I'm saying. Um, if the, the tangent is too all over the place to make it um, a coherent caption people with disabilities and it was it was really interesting like awesome yeah well it sounds like you are very intentional in what you do like you kind of view your space on the internet as a privilege in your community and so I appreciate your answer in general who do you look up to in life oh um yes so I'd say my little from college is in medical school right now. She is one of the most thoughtful, hardworking people that I know. I think I'm incredibly inspired by her. She's doing emergency medicine, um, which all things considered, she's been basically working a pandemic as a med student. Um, So I really just admire her for her work ethic and sort of she is the kind of person and friend and Shanae Alexander is a creator who I love very much. I think she just has such a beautiful presence. She has, you know, she's such a great creator. She's very interesting, very entertaining. And I think she really exemplifies the kind of very vocal about social issues. She's very inclusive, very body positive. And I think most importantly for me, she's very kind. I met her at an event in Los Angeles. And she knew who I was and was like, you know, she was there like doing stuff. She's like, oh, Maggie, how are you? What are you doing? What's up? Like spoke to my husband who has been to these events with me and like no one even acknowledges him because he's like not one of the guys with the camera. Um, She talked to Mark. She was like, she was so lovely. And it really was a good reminder, you know. In, in the spirit of taking my platform personally, I think it's really important to, to be the way that you are online in real life. Um, and I think Shanae is a great example of being incredibly wonderful online and being that way in real life as a regular person. So I know that you've shared since graduating college, you have lived in various cities, like you've kind of hopped across the East Coast and then over to the West Coast. How have you gone about creating a sense of community in those cities and new places? Um, I would say actually coffee and cardio played a huge role in finding community in Los Angeles. Um, At the time, right when I started it, it was like peak 
fitness Instagram and like boutique fitness in Los Angeles. It was like class pass was big. All the like bougie yoga studios were big. And so I actually did, did some like pretty aggressive event planning when I had first started my account and I would like do a partnership with SoulCycle and Sweetgreen and like host a 40 person SoulCycle class and, and just invite people. Um, and that was just such a great way to get to know people. It was so fun that people would just show up and then I had, you know, friends to make in person because these are people who either also are on Instagram or are not really on Instagram in the same way, but like the same things because they like sweet green and soul cycle and yoga or like whatever it was we were doing that day. Um, so that was a really big one. That was really fun for me. Um, I will say that that was very fun at the beginning. It became less fun over time. Um, I had some people who would, who would like DM me and be like, when are you hosting a free workout class? Like I need to, I need a free workout class or like I need some free sweet green. And I'm like, I am not that person for you. So we're going to, we're going to roll that back a little bit. Um, I started making a lot of the events, charitable donation events. So you needed to, to bring something for a women's shelter or you needed to contribute to something in some way. And that kind of made it a little better for me. Um, and then in Seattle, I actually, that is something I'm still working on here. Um, I've been here for almost a little over two years and it's, it's been really helpful to work at the company that I work at. There are a lot of young people who I really love, who have a lot of connections in the Seattle area. So friends from work, friends of friends. Um, and then I just am always down whenever anyone, you know, coffee and cardio is a good example of people who will just reach out and be like, Hey, I, I'm going to be in Seattle. I think we should get coffee because we could be friends. Um, and then I just do that. You have to make sure you're not going to get you know, taken, make sure they're a real person. Um, but, but yeah, just, I think I like to, the joke that I make is I went to Wellesley, which is a women's college and the whole thing about Wellesley is it was such an incredible educational experience and social life took work. Like you had to plan if you wanted to go to a co-ed party, you need to like think about what that meant. Like, how are you going to make friends? How are you going to, if you would like to have friends who are men or friends who are not enrolled at your historically women's college, how are you going to find those friends? Are you going to find them at 2 a.m. at the frat party? Probably not. So how are you going to engage and maintain a relationship with someone you don't see on a regular basis who like doesn't live down the hall from you? Um, and that was incredible practice for adulthood where like at the end of the day, when I used to commute, I would get home from work and just like lay there and be like, I'm so tired. I don't want to get up and go out. And so how can you build in those coffee dates with that person that you met at one time? Just schedule it, just schedule it. And then you have to go. Um, how can you set goals for yourself of, you know, I know that my friend's friend moved here and they gave me their number, but neither of us ever reached out. Like, how can I make that initial connection and how can I do a little bit more work to maintain it? Um, it's a lot more effort than I wish that it was, but it's very important and you, everyone should do it. Like, just pick up the phone, call someone, schedule something. Um, maybe not now because of a pandemic, like wear a mask, go outside, but, um, yeah, you just got to make the effort. It's like homework. Just assign it to yourself. I love that. Yeah. I think, um, since I moved to a new city, like it was funny, a lot of people, Oh, I know someone who lives there and I have met up. I mean, yeah, the pandemic like really messes with everything, but I have met up with friends of friends and it is just nice to form those connections and yeah. I know that you went to an all women's college and I think you've met your, you met your husband like the first weekend. How did you meet your husband? <laughs> um, yes. So I went to Wellesley, which is a women's college. Mm -hmm. My husband went to MIT, okay, which is also in Boston. Um, we met the first weekend at college because he was working door duty at the fraternity party that I was at. Um, I was a college athlete and I was on contract 
So I was not allowed to drink because I had practice the next morning. So it was like the first weekend of college, all of my like hallway friends who I had just met like 20 minutes before were like, we're going to the party. And I was like, all right, I'm in college. We're going to the party. So we go and like everyone is having a good time. I need to catch the bus to go home so that I can wake up to go on practice, go to practice. And Mark was standing at the door eating a bowl of ice cream. Um, and I was like, first of all, he's real cute. Second, this is exactly the type of vibe that I want from this frat party. Um, <laughs> so we actually, we chatted for a little bit and exchanged numbers and he did not call me. Um, we did not start dating my first weekend in college. I don't think I saw him again for more than a year. Like I ran into him again, like a year and change later. And he was like, hi, I'm Mark. And I'm like, oh, I know, like, <laughs> I know who you are. And basically made a joke that like, you should call me, you have my number. And like, just to see if he could do it. And obviously he did. And here we are eight, nine years later. I love that. That's very sweet. <laughs> um, very cute. So yeah. um, you moved to Seattle and didn't you buy a house? We did buy a house. Well, <laughs> welcome so to, to the basement of the house. Yeah. <laughs> um, what are some of your favorite places in Seattle? Um, so for coffee, the La Mazorca um, La Mazorca is like the biggest fancy Italian espresso machine. They have a cafe in the KEXP space at Seattle Center that invites rotating coffee roasters. Um, so every month is a different person. I think they've been closed for a little bit for the pandemic just to kind of give everyone a break. But my understanding is that they will be back whenever. Um, it's some of the best coffee in Seattle. Absolutely love it. Um, Seawolf Bakers in Fremont, um, just the best pastries, just su such good pastries at Seawolf. Um, I really love um, two restaurants, Mom Noon and Homer. Um, they're like, they are my favorite restaurants in Seattle. I love them. I will, I think Mark and I have gone to Mom Noon for every like major holiday like birthday valentine's day it was our like last restaurant that we went to before the pandemic um was mom noon which is very sad um those are favorites i really love the river walk in fremont i live in fremont in seattle which is it's just like a neighborhood um but there is a river walk that connects lake union and the puget sound um there's like a it's called the cut and there's just like a really lovely bike and running path along that. And so that's like a little favorite spot. And then um, the lighthouse at Discovery Park is, is another favorite. Um, I always think it's interesting to hear like people's favorite places because it's like their perfect day almost. They kind of walk through it. Yeah. <laughs> um, if the, and this is kind of mental health, so quick pivot here. But if you're feeling off or anxious or like any type of off way what do you do to ground yourself um so I am a very big exercise is very effective for me in that way um you know the mental health scientist in me thinks it's because I have my heart rate gets very high when I'm anxious and like I tend to feel physical experiences of anxiety before I feel like real cognitive experiences of anxiety. So I notice that my body feels very unsettled or my heart is racing or my stomach is churning before I like have the active thought of like, I am anxious about this thing. And it tends to be like a, a chicken and then egg thing where like I notice the body sensation and then I I'm like, oh, that doesn't, that feels like anxiety. Like, what is it that I'm anxious about? And then we like run through the really long list of all the things that I could be anxious about. And that feeds into how I'm feeling. Um, and for me, exercise is a really good way to disrupt that cycle. Um, so elevating my heart rate and like getting moving in a way that is very intentional allows me to break the connection of like my heart is racing I should feel anxious. What am I anxious about? 
um, it becomes my heart is racing because I'm working really hard. This is very normal. I know how to regulate myself this way. Um, so yoga and running are really good for that for me, where it's like, you're just breathing, like you're breathing really hard, focusing on lengthening and slowing how fast I'm breathing in the concept of exercise is very natural to me. And that tends to be the most effective. Obviously, in the middle of the workday, it can be challenging to just like whip out a 90 minute vinyasa. So um, <laughs> like five minute meditations or like the, the five minute, um, not five minute, the like five senses experience of like name five things you see, name four things you feel, name three things that you smell, name one thing that you, you know, whatever it is. Um, working down that way is a very good one for when I'm sitting still and needing to, to, to focus in a meeting or um, not get up and go, go on a jog. Definitely. Yeah, just, <laughs> just move some meetings around for yoga practice. So how do you then balance your love of coffee and caffeine <laughs> and anxiety? Ooh, I have gotten this question before and I actually don't really think that those two things are related for me. Um, I think if I drink cold brew on an empty stomach, that is a problem. But as soon as I figure that out, it's like, as long as you like eat something with cold brew, um, I'm totally fine. Uh, I think part of it is related to my grandmother is from Scotland. So we, I grew up having like tea time, like you have tea with breakfast and then you have tea time at 11 and then you have tea after lunch and then you have tea time in the afternoon and then you have tea after dinner. Um, that is so much black tea for like a eight year old. Um, that's a lot of caffeine. Um, and so I really don't feel like caffeine really does much to me, which might not be the solution. It sounds like your answer you're looking for. Um, but yeah, just, just eat something with your coffee because coffee is not a meal so <laughs> I like that um okay and you really enjoy hiking and so I guess like how did you first get into hiking and then where are your favorite places to go yeah I would not say that I'm like history you know like I did Girl Scouts I like went camping in the platform tent but like we didn't go hiking like definitely not um I started getting into hiking when we moved to Los Angeles, my husband was like, we should go hiking. We should go camping. Um, and I think in LA, especially it's so crowded and there's, it's just urban sprawl for miles. Like there are just buildings everywhere that you look. And I think Mark was really excited about hiking. And I was like, I like you. So I'll go like, <laughs> like it was an activity and I was excited to like explore Southern California. So we would go and it would be fine and I would enjoy it. Um, and the longer that we were in LA, and I think this speaks a little bit to, to the moving question, the longer we were there, the more, I don't know, suffocated seems a little too aggressive, but like suffocated and overwhelmed by like that amount of urban sprawl. And so the more hiking we actually ended up doing. Um, so we would get up really early and drive as far out of LA as we could to like go on a, a hike in the national parks up in California, um, just to like be around trees and away from people in buildings. Um, and then once you start doing that, and once you start actively seeking out new hikes, um, I kind of got to the point where I was like, I know that I can walk for a while. So like, let's make sure the thing at the end is like the coolest possible thing that we could see. Um, and started looking online to like see which trails had a cool lake at the top or like which one had a great view. Um, and it kind of, kind of spiraled from there. Spiraled sounds bad, but like it escalated from like, we'll go on a casual hike once every six months to like, I think last year we went hiking every weekend for six months, which is like a very big change. Um, yeah, I oh, I love it. It is such a, as someone who was a competitive athlete for so long, it's so nice to do something that it's just like, there's no winning. There's no finish line. There's no times. Like, I think that you 
can be competitive about, you know, how long it took you to get to the top, but I'm not, and it's not really something that I care about. Um, and it's just really cool to see. Uh, we did the W Trek in Patagonia last winter, which is a almost 60 mile backpacking trip. Um, just like, what a cool thing to, to carry yourself that far and carry all of your stuff with you. And that seems like such a cool trip. The Patagonia yeah. Trail. It was it was really cool. Um, and I, I keep thinking about it a lot, especially right now. Um, like today, last year, we was the day we got home from it. So it's like, wow, uh, <laughs> what what a year it's been. Um, but yeah, it it was a really it was a really cool trip. I was very afraid of, of the trip. Um, I like I know that we we're super well prepared for it. And I know that I like had the fitness to do it. Um, I just was very nervous that something was going to happen and I was going to be, you know, 7,000 miles away in South America and I'm like, you know, have a really bad blister and it like keeps me from doing this hike, like the badass I wanted to be. Um, obviously that, you know, I got plenty of blisters, but I was fine and it was, <laughs> it was great. That's awesome. Are you planning to do other are there other international trails you want to go to? Yeah. Um, there are a couple in Switzerland I'm really interested in in going to. Um, a bunch in South America that just seem really cool. And then there, there are so many like, national parks and like hikes in the United States that I'm still really excited about. I think Glacier in Montana is one that I just like desperately want to go to. Um, and the the Grand Tetons is like one that I haven't been to yet that I really want to. And Washington state has so many trails where like, I feel like I've done so many hikes and there are still so many left to do. Um, so I think trying to find the close to home ones for now. Um, and then obviously dreaming and scheming a little bit of, of kind of what we want to do next. Um, I, I, <laughs> I am hoping that maybe my next vacation is slightly more relaxing than our, you know, seven day backpacking trip. Um, we, we had a trip planned to Mexico that we obviously canceled for the pandemic. That was supposed to be me just like parked on a beach with a fruity tropical drink, um, for, for three days just to recover. Um, and I did not get to go on that trip. So I'm very much looking forward to just like something relaxing before I, I, pick the pack back up I think definitely um actually I was in Mexico once and these we met these Canadians who had like I don't think they hiked actually so maybe this is not relevant but they took this like 30 hour bus ride from Belize anyways but I thought that was a hiking story and it's not I realized so not really well (laughs) Um, sometimes you have to take like when we left Patagonia like Torres del Paine, where we did the hike, it's like a seven-hour bus ride. Wow! To, to like get to where we actually needed to go to like get on a plane. So uh, hiking has a lot of bus rides involved. Um, hard <laughs> yeah. to get places. <laughs> so this has been lovely, and I have some closing questions for you that are hopefully not existential, even though they are big picture. <laughs> So I'm curious, what are your goals for the next five years? Very, very general. Uh, um, this is incredibly existential for me. My husband and I were just talking about this last night. I think that I would like, yeah, I have some kind of, I'm not sure that I can articulate it very well, but I feel like I have some some mental frameworks of how I want to progress in my career um, to sort of establish myself as a leader, um, to really specialize some of what I do in the broader social impact space and continue to grow. I still feel a little new to my industry. It feels a little bit like I like a recent college graduate who like didn't go to school for marketing, but is now doing marketing. Um, even though I'm almost 30. Uh, so yeah, really feeling established, um, in that way, that feels like a, something that I see a, a nice arc for. Um, I think I have some creative goals for for myself. Um, really working on continuing to 
make my corner of the internet of like a nicer, happier, safer space for everyone. Um, while at the same time pushing myself to be a stronger creative, um, so that I can, you know, make my photography better, make my presence on video less terrible, (laughs) um, things, things like that. And then I think interpersonally over the next five, you know, I'm 29. Um, so understanding the next five years, what it looks like for me, as a friend, as a spouse, as a individual, I think, yeah, I'm not sure I have those nailed down yet, but feels very, <laughs> feels very relevant. Um, Definitely. Yeah. Um, I, I like those answers. It sounds like, um, it seems like you're a very reflective person, like a very introspective person. Yeah. Um, sometimes I think I could probably do less of that. Like we've introspected, we've got it. Like we have done it. We probably do not need to do more. Um, but yes, I am very introspective. I think a lot about who I want to be and what I want to do and how my behavior impacts other people. Um, and I think that is part of what makes me a really good writer and a really good friend. Um, and I also think that it is something that contributes to my anxiety because I am very aware of the space that I take up in the world. And I feel very obligated to make sure that it is as positive as possible. I love that. So, okay. So the last question here is how can people find you and support you? And I also added like the second part of this question and causes that you believe in. So if there's certain things that you would encourage people to get involved with in any way, shape or form. Yeah. Um, so people can find me at coffee and cardio on Instagram. Um, the Instagram is probably the best place to start. There's links to, I have a blog that I don't really update. Um, TikTok is the real coffee and cardio. Um, someone took my username, which was really frustrating. She she doesn't post anything, so I'm considering asking. I'm considering asking for it back. But um, <laughs> so yes, at Coffee and Cardio, um, I think I think the the most the the way that you can support me or really any other creator that you like is to support their page. Um, I think support is likes, comments, shares on the content that they put out that is not sponsored, um, and especially the stuff that is sponsored. Um, You know, I've had a couple of experiences where people will reach out and be like, I've been following you for six years, and I love everything that you do. And I'm like, yeah, but it's 2021, and this is the first time I've ever seen you pop up. Like, (laughs) it's like, for me, the... I'm not making noise just to make noise. Like I don't want to just shout into the void about all of my thoughts and feelings. Like I'm already introspecting on all of them. Like I want to hear from you guys or like, I want to know that that thing that I recommended that you bought and loved and it changed your life. Like, tell me about it. Like, let me know about you. Um, Because that's what makes it fun for me. Like that's why it's cool and exciting. Um, on that note, I would say that a great way to support is to, if my page or someone else's page is something that brings a lot of value to your life, if you feel like you're learning something from it, sharing those pages with people that you like and respect who you think will also like it. Um, word of mouth is a great way for me to like grow this little community um, and to find like-minded people because you know some people are going to come and it's not going to be for them. But if you know you and you know that you like it and you recommend it to a friend that you know, um, it's much more likely that we'll all just get along really well and it'll be fun. That makes me think about ways that I interact with people that I follow. So um, I think that's important to know. So yes, yes. So yes, Mm -hmm. I definitely want to make sure that I, you had also asked what are some causes that I believe in? I answer that. Um, so some things that are very important to me, access to mental health services for people are things that are, are very important to me. Um, I think the Loveland Foundation is doing 
really incredible work. Um, they are one of the organizations I chose to donate to this year um, with the proceeds from my sponsored content. Um, so if mental health is something that's really relevant or important to you, I'd really encourage you to look up their mission and support them in whatever way that you can. Um, I've been learning a lot about um, Native and Indigenous reparations and representation. Um, there's an organization called Real Rent Duwamish, which represents the Native people to Seattle. Um, and they have a organization where people can, you know, the, the land that Seattle sits on was just taken in a treaty. Um, and so there are opportunities to provide funds to support continuing education about the Duwamish people. Um, there have been a, a number of efforts to rename things that were named with like white explorer names, um, to rename them to their traditional Duwamish names or names that are kind of representative of the history and culture of this land. Um, and that's something that's really important to me. And I'd really encourage everyone to learn whose land they're on. Um, you know, that's not something that we tend to do. Um, learn whose land they're on and how you can support the Native people who are still in your area in whatever way they feel as though they need support. Um, I also, especially because of the pandemic, um, mutual aid and access to food is critical. Um, I think food, you know, donating to the food bank is great. Um, but also reaching out to the organizations that are doing work on the ground and seeing what it is that they need and how you can best be supportive, um, whether that is financial donations, getting out and helping people who are unhoused right now get access to services, um, things like that. I think now more than ever, it's really important that we take care of our neighbors and our community and start holding the expectations a little bit higher for how we treat each other. You mentioned yeah. the land and I'm wondering, are there any specific resources that you have checked to find out, like, especially if you're traveling to different places, are there certain websites and things like that? Yeah, there are a couple of websites that you can look up. For example, I know there are a couple for the national parks, like whose land was this? How did mm -hmm. it come to be a national park? Um, spoiler alert, they're not super fun stories usually. Mm. Um, so I really encourage you to, if you spend a lot of time hiking or you're spending a lot of time in state and national forests, um, to, to look up whose land that used to be and how it came to be public United States government owned land. Um, you can also just do a quick Google on, and you know, I am not an expert on this, like I'm still educating myself on, on the best way to do this. Um, just Googling like native and indigenous people to whatever city you're in. Um, you know, my hometown was home to the Cherokee people. And I know this because it was the origin point for the Trail of Tears, which we learned about in school and is quite stressful to think about as an adult that that's like where my hometown is. Um, and so just Googling who used to live there. And then once you identify who those people are, um, looking up their information today, um, is there still a presence of that community in your community now? Um, if not, why? Uh, if so, what resources do they have? What resources do they need? Um, what can you learn about them that enables you to support whatever it is that they need because you're living on their land. I hope you love that interview with Maggie. She is wonderful. So uh, like she mentioned in the interview, make sure to follow and support her however you can. So I have included all of her information in the show notes, but make sure to find her at Coffee and Cardio. Also, I just want to thank everyone who has shown the show support. So if you have ideas about future guests or anything else at all, feedback, feel free to reach out to us over Instagram at That's My Truth Podcast. I also have an, in, an email link there as well. If you're looking to show some additional support for the podcast, sharing episodes with a family 
member or friend uh, goes a long way. And also subscribing and rating and reviewing on Apple Podcasts is also an excellent way to show some love. And that's all for this week. We will see you next week on the That's My Truth podcast.